Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! All right, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm just so thankful that we can gather and we can worship you and just acknowledge your lordship and your kingship here in this place amongst friends and amongst brothers and sisters. Lord, I just thank you so much that we can open your word and we trust that you speak through it. And so help our hearts to be continue to continue to be receptive um, to whatever it is that you want to share with us this morning. Um, may we be people who follow you and who trust you and live for you. And so we just commit this next little while to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm Tim. I'm the community life pastor here at Sardis Fellowship. And uh, I want to talk this morning about control. Give me a second. Okay. So the first thing, control. We like being in control. We like feeling like things are going our way. We like feeling like we have some semblance of power over our lives and areas of our lives. And we feel good when we're in control. Uh, when we're not in control of things, like when our bodies decide to get sick, uh, then we feel frustrated and we feel anxious and we feel confused. Um, and so, yes, I am feeling a little bit under the weather right now. If you can't tell by my obvious voice, uh, but I've been trying to avoid being around people. So don't worry, I'm not going to spread this around hopefully. Um, but anyways, yeah, when we, when we are out of control, in our lives, we tend to feel uh, anxious and nervous because things aren't going to go our way and maybe something's going to go wrong and maybe we're going to get hurt or maybe we're going to, like, maybe you can sympathize with my experience of being on an airplane. I don't like flying at all. Uh, I get very anxious because you're in a metal cylinder thousands of feet in the sky and you're hurling through the sky and it just doesn't make any sense. And so when I'm sitting there, I'm really nervous. Um, but I'm also at the same time, I have this strange thing that I think if I were in control of the airplane, that things would somehow go better. But that's obviously not true because I'm not a pilot. And so it would 100% go worse if I was in control. Um, and so we're these strange creatures that we want control, uh, but we have to admit there's so many things in our lives that are out of our control, right? We just, we can't control everything. And the things that we can control, we often, when they're in our control, we mess up. I think we can all agree with those statements. Um, and so what I want to do this morning is um, just talk through this idea, explore this idea uh, through a new sermon series that we're going to be going through um, during Christmas time called The King Has Come. The King Has Come, because that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate the fact that the King has come into our world. Jesus Christ came into our world. He was born God in the flesh, fully man, fully God in the incarnation. The, the one person of Jesus Christ came into this world and he's the king. He's the king of the universe and he's the king of you and he's the king of me. He's the king of everything and he's come into our world. And so we're going to be talking about him and his kingdom. Um, but we don't have much experience with kingdoms. Um, we kind of at a distance know about kings and kingdoms through movies and stuff, but we aren't living in a monarchy. We live in Canada, which is a democracy. Although we technically have a king, huh. there he is. That's not the king that I'm going to be talking about this morning. That is King Charles. Um, and 
he's more of a figurehead from what I can understand. Um, and his rule and reign doesn't have a ton of impact on your daily life and your daily decisions. Um, unless you're obsessed with the royal family, then he kind of dictates what magazines you buy in the checkout aisle. Cause like if you love the royal family, um, but doesn't have much bearing on your actual day-to-day -day life. Um, we also know about kingdoms from like Disney, you know, there's always a, a princess and a king. Um, but I don't think Disney has much bearing on our lives unless you're my daughter. And then Disney has a lot of bearing on her life because she loves Disney and princesses and all things princessy. So, but other than that, there's kingdoms that are kind of, yeah, we know what they're like, uh, but they don't have any bearing on our lives. But if Jesus is who he says he is, if he is the king of all, and if he is the king um, that has come into this world, then his kingdom has an a huge implication on your life. Every single aspect of your life, every minute detail of your life, his kingdom has a direct impact on and has um, the, the potential to have control over every single part of your life. Because when Jesus came into the world, the angels, everyone declared this baby is unique. This baby is king. Listen to this. This is the angel to Mary and Luke. Um, he, Jesus, will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this baby Jesus has a throne, has a reign, and he has a kingdom. And so I think it's worth us paying attention to this because this has the potential to change everything in our lives uh, that the king has come. And so we're going to be exploring what the kingdom is uh, this morning. I think in order to understand who this king is and how he might have reign over our lives, we need to understand what the kingdom is. And one of the main things that I think we're going to learn here this morning is that Jesus's kingdom, it advances um, through our surrender when we relinquish our control to him. Jesus's kingdom advances through your surrender. And so we're going to be learning about that here this morning. Um, so we're going to go on a bit of a, a bit of a learning journey together about what the kingdom of heaven is. Um, any given day, if you were walking, you know, two, uh, 2000 years ago on the, let's just say on the beaches of the sea of Galilee, you're walking along, you see this King, this baby King Jesus, who has grown up. Uh, now he's teaching disciples and you overhear him talking probably 90% of the time you would hear him talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Um, it was, if you read the new Testament, it was the topic he talked about the most, uh, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And those two things are basically synonymous, by the way, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they mean the same thing. Um, and so what was he talking about? What is this kingdom that Jesus is ushering into this world? A few points here to kind of help us understand what it is because we can, we can have misconceptions of what Jesus's kingdom is like because we understand what kingdoms of this world are like. So the first thing about the kingdom of heaven is that it is otherworldly. Jesus's kingdom is not of this world. Later on, when Jesus was grown up, he was a few years into his ministry. He was about to be crucified. Actually, he was brought before uh, Pontius Pilate, who was a, a, a person in charge in the Roman empire. And he's asking him about this kingdom. People are saying you have a kingdom. People are saying you're a king. Hey, you don't look like one. Uh, what's your kingdom like? And Jesus says this to Pontius Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
And so first and foremost, Jesus's kingdom, it's not of this place. It's not of earth. When we think of earthly kingdoms, we think that they have boundaries. They have uh, geographical places on earth. They have, what else do kingdoms have? Armies. Uh, they have military. They have uh, thrones. They have all of these things that we think of when we think of a kingdom. Jesus's kingdom is, is completely different. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. And so when we're thinking about his kingdom, we have to remember that it's totally different than our kingdoms here. The other thing about the kingdom of heaven is that it is good news. The kingdom of heaven is good news. We just finished a sermon series called sharing the gospel. And that term gospel uh, is actually first and foremost, a political term. So 2000 years ago, when Kings would um, defeat, say an enemy, uh, they would say uh, they'd have ushers who would come in and they'd say, uh, there's good news. The King has just defeated this army. There's good news. And so they proclaim good news. They proclaim the gospel of Caesar. They proclaim the gospel of whatever emperor emperor was in charge. Um, but Jesus is saying that his kingdom is good news. Many times you'll actually see uh, the term, the good news of the kingdom. And so when we think of kingdom, we think of Jesus, or when we think of good news, we think of Jesus coming to earth, dying, raising from the dead uh, to forgive our sins so that we can live with him forever. And that is uh, a part of the gospel but it's a part of this broader good news of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It is good news um, that Jesus has come to earth. And they would also use this term if a new king was coming, if there was a bad king and there's suddenly a new king, they say, good news, there's a new king. And I think we think that whenever there's maybe a politician we don't like and they're getting voted out and someone we wanted in, yes, there's good news, there's a new politician in and it's gonna go great because they're perfect and nothing will ever go wrong again in this world. No, false, uh, everyone's human. There are some rulers that are better than other rulers, but um, this is actual good news because this kingdom is unique and this king is unique. And um, he's not corrupt. And so the kingdom of heaven is otherworldly. It's good news. A few more points just to kind of wrap our heads around what the kingdom is. It's upside down. Okay, so you might have heard this term. The kingdom of heaven is an upside down kingdom. What does that mean? When you think of a kingdom, you think it has certain values, right? It has the value of advancing. It has the value of using power to defeat its enemies. It has all of these values, but Jesus's kingdom is, it takes all those values and it flips them on their head. And so Jesus's kingdom, that's really small, sorry. But um, in Jesus's kingdom, this is just a few examples. The least are the greatest the kingdom. It doesn't belong to, to the elites. It doesn't belong to adults who have everything under control. It belongs to children. Jesus said, um, riches don't equal status in this kingdom. The first are last and the last are first. Um, the spiritually bankrupt go in before the proud and the poor are the ones who are blessed in this kingdom. It's this totally different value set, this totally backwards, upside down kingdom that Jesus is bringing into this world. A few more points. It's mysterious. Okay. So if you were to say, okay, so then that means the kingdom is here or that the kingdom is like this, or the kingdom is like this. Jesus uses tons of parables. And if you were to read all of his parables on the kingdom, you would be perplexed because it's mysterious. You'd say, okay, 
Uh, the kingdom is, is here now, so it's present. And then Jesus will suddenly talk about the kingdom as future. Or he'll say, it's, it's amazing. It's going to come like a thief in the night. It's going to be amazing and sudden. But it's also like a grain of mustard that's going to actually grow over a long period of time. And so it's mysterious. And I was in a class um, called Christianity and Culture, and our professor was talking about the kingdom. And he used this... Um, diagram that I just want to show you and talk through really quickly. I know it's confusing when you first see it, but it's basically six axes and it's just saying that we need to hold these things about the kingdom of heaven in tension. Okay. So bear with me for a second as I, as I just try to explain this. So the top, it says heavenly, right? So the kingdom of heaven, it's heavenly. So if you just said, well, then it's just in heaven, you'd be missing it. It's actually earthly as well at the same time. It's here. It's now. Uh, you could say, if you go over, uh, it, it, the kingdom of heaven comes in climactic suddenness. It's going to come all at once. It's going to be like a thief in the night. Wait a second. It's also gradual. If you go to the other side, it's like a seed. It starts slow. Um, the kingdom of heaven is the church. It works through God's people. Yes, but it's also working outside of the church. The kingdom of heaven is bigger than the church. It's here now. Jesus said it's here. Yes, it's also future. So there's all these tensions in the kingdom of heaven that make it this mysterious thing that we can't just peg down and say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. I've got it under control. It's beyond our control. So the final thing, the kingdom of heaven in a nutshell is the reign of God. We think of kingdoms as a noun. So this, the kingdom is this place. The kingdom of heaven is, is more close to a verb. It's the reign of God. Wherever God is Lord, wherever God is reigning and his reign is unstopped, that's where the kingdom of heaven is. It's the reign of God. Okay. So at the risk of, of boring and potentially confusing you, um, that I think it's just a really brief summary on the kingdom of heaven, but now we'll get to, okay, why does this matter? So what? So what that the kingdom of heaven is here? So what that this king has come? Why does this matter um, that the kingdom of heaven is here? Well, it matters because Jesus wants his kingdom to reign, not just out there, but to reign in you and through you. That's where Jesus wants his kingdom to reign. Um, And so when we think of things like the Lord's prayer, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That sounds great. That's just a nice flowery thing to say. Um, when we're thinking of the kingdom of heaven as out there, God, yeah, come make things right, make things good in our world, have your way in our world. But really the kingdom of heaven wants to reign in you and through you. And so this prayer is actually deeply, deeply personal and deeply uncomfortable because what it's saying is God have your way in me. May your kingdom come means may your kingdom come in my life. May your reign come in my life. And what happens whenever there's a kingdom that is advancing, what does it bump up against other kingdoms, right? Whenever there's a kingdom advancing in this world, it's bumping up against other kingdoms and it's trying to compete with rival kingdoms. And this prayer is all fine and dandy if we are people who are totally fully surrendered to God, but chances are we're not. 
the kingdom of heaven is good news, right? We said it's good news. It's good news to those who have nothing to lose, who are just broken and lost and have no control over their life. It's really bad news to King Herod. Um, You know, he's the one who tried to kill baby Jesus. Why? Because he had a kingdom to protect, right? He had a, a dominion. He had his own rule that he was seeking to protect and to reign in. And so I, I met with um, Dave Jackson a while ago who preached here at, uh, at Sardis a, a couple weeks ago. And in our conversation, um, he brought up the idea of rival kingdoms. We all have rival kingdoms in our lives where we say, God, you can have control up to here, but this is where your kingdom ends. And this is where mine begins. And this is out of bounds for you. This is my kingdom. And this is where I have say, and this is where I have control and you can go no further. And so the kingdom of heaven actually becomes quite a challenge for us because it's about surrender and submission to this God who wants to advance in our lives. And I just want to share um, a story found in Mark 10 about Jesus encountering somebody and encountering their rival kingdom. And so if you have your, your Bibles, we're going to look at Mark 10, Um, verse 17. And so this is a moment where um, Jesus encounters somebody who has a rival kingdom. Okay. So I'm actually just going to read it from there because it might be a little easier. So Mark 10, 17 to 20. Uh, As Jesus started on his way, so Jesus was... Uh, Walking around, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. So this is some random guy running up to Jesus and he kneels down before him. So that's a pretty uh, like kingly thing to do, right? He's kneeling. He's like, okay, this guy is acknowledging Jesus as some sort of a king, some sort of a Lord, right? That's a very regal position. He's kneeling down. Um, Okay, this guy acknowledges Jesus' kingship. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And when we think of eternal life, we think of, you know, living with Jesus forever in heaven when we die. Uh, Eternal life maybe kind of had more connotations for this guy about when your kingdom is fully on earth and you're reigning, what must I do to like be in that kingdom with you? So this question could be, how do I get into the kingdom? How am I, how do I be in the kingdom with you? Um, And so this guy's kneeling down before him and asking him this. And Jesus says, I think it's hard for Jesus to just answer a question straightforward. He likes to ask a question in response. Okay, there. Wow. The fastest battery change. Thank you. Thank you. All right. It's like a pit stop. Okay. Here we go. 
So, uh, so Jesus, getting back to that guy. So why do you call me good? Jesus answered. Um, no one is good except God alone. Okay, so he's already questioning this guy's question. Um, so I think at this part, Jesus starts to humor this guy. Uh, you know the commandments. You should not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus is almost saying, look, you know how to be a good person. You know, just do these things. He's almost testing him. Like, I know you know there's something missing. I'm just going to kind of throw this out at you and see what you say. So kind of, you know, be a good person. Uh, Teacher, the guy says, "Um, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. And, you know, I think we can trust him. I think, I think he's a good guy. I think this guy's a generally good person. He's, he's followed the law, but he knows that there's something missing. He knows something deep in his heart is missing and that he longs for something else. So this is where Jesus looked at him. Wow, I didn't expect that. Yeah, he looked at him and he loved him. He just loved this guy. You know, he wasn't upset at him. He wasn't mad at him. He wasn't like frustrated that he was self-righteous. He loved this guy. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And this guy said, yes, I'll do that. I love you. I love your kingdom. I'm going to follow you. And he sold everything. No, at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And so Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, more broadly, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Just in general, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. So did you see what Jesus did there? Did you see what Jesus was touching on in this guy's life? This guy said, Jesus, you can have rain in my life up till this point. You can tell me to, you know, not commit adultery. You can tell me to honor my father and mother. Uh, You can tell me not to steal. Sure. But the moment that this Jesus touched this guy's rival kingdom, what did he do? He got sad because that's, that's really the thing that was going to keep this guy from giving total allegiance to Jesus. And I think what this teaches us is that Jesus just doesn't want a bunch of nice, good people. (laughs) He wants people who are surrendered to him in his kingship. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for just a bunch of nice people. It's good to be nice. It's good to be good. Don't get me wrong, but he's looking for people who are absolutely fully surrendered to his kingship. And we can look at this guy and go, oh man, I can't believe he was so blind that he missed out on following Jesus. But we all, each of us has our own rival kingdoms. This guy's happened to be wealth. We all have our own. These areas in our lives where we feel like we have control And we say to God, you can come here and no further. This is my domain. And so what's your domain? What's your kingdom in your life? Where is it that you can't relinquish control to King Jesus? What is it? Is it money? Is it finances? Is it, you know, you you might be saying, you know, you can tell me how much to serve in your church. I I love serve, but don't, don't you dare talk about how I am in my marriage. 
You know, that's, that's me. That's mine. Or you could say, you know, I, you can tell me how to live. Don't steal, but, but don't talk about how I spend my money. That's mine. I earned that. You know, like there, there's so many ways in our lives that we can tell God, no, you stop here and go no further. And we don't want to relinquish control, right? Um, there's so many things in our lives that we could set up as our own kingdoms and think that we have this fanciful idea that we're in control and we're just, we're, we're ruining it. We're wrecking it. And, you know, I think probably what stops us from surrender is maybe a lack of trust. You know, I, I, uh, random tangent, but when I was a kid, I loved Pokemon cards. And so I, I kept a lot of them and they had a bit of value. Um, and then my kids started getting into Pokemon cards and I was like, Oh, that's cool. And they started wanting to play with my Pokemon cards. And I was like, those are mine. Those are my own. And uh, I didn't want them to play with any of them. And then I felt like a bit of a, you know, curmudgeon. It's like, come on, let your kids play with your cards. It's so silly. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll let them play with some of them. And they immediately proceeded to like destroy like 90% of them, which is just wonderful. Uh, but <laughs> so they weren't worth that much. It's all good. But, uh, and they had fun with it. So it was worth it. It was worth it. But like, you know, you hand something over, you surrender something and it's, you watch it get destroyed and it's like, ah, that's too bad. So, um, but you know, we feel that maybe sometimes we feel that with, with God where we're like, if I actually let you into this area of my life, you're going to wreck it. or you are going to destroy it? Or are you going to do something with it that I don't want you to do with it? You know, I don't want to let you into my finances. I don't want to let you into my marriage. I don't want to let you into my relationships. I don't want to let you into how I spend my time. I don't want to let you into any area of my life, my, my deep, hidden motivations of why I do things. I don't want to let you in there because you might wreck it and destroy it. But it's important to remember that God, this God, this King is a unique King. He's different. He's not like everyone else. He's not like other Kings. He's not going to take advantage of you. He's not going to use you. He's not going to destroy you. He wants, when you surrender something to him, he's going to actually use it how it was meant to be. And he's going to work in it. He's loving. Remember, he looks at this guy and he loves him deeply, right? He loves you deeply and you can surrender to him every aspect of your life. And so we have to ask, what are our rival kingdoms? Um, And that involves things that we are in control of and things that we aren't in control of. And so when you look at your life, what are the things in your life that you have no control over right now that are frustrating you? It might be, you know, aging, it might be sickness. It might be a relationship, um, with somebody where you can't control how they are behaving. God wants you to surrender all of that to him. I remember I was having a conversation with someone who had lost a child. Um, it was very, uh, sudden, very traumatic and very painful. And they remember saying to me, I remember, uh, they were saying to me that, um, in the moment they found out, uh, from the police officer, actually, that that they had lost their child. In that moment of absolute grief and pain and, and horrible devastation, this one word immediately was in their mind, and it was the word surrender. And they couldn't quite figure out why. Why surrender? I think because for them... In loss, you know, in grief, we think of the cycles of grief and we think the, you know, the end of it is accept, acceptance, right? Accepting. 
This was beyond my control. There's nothing I can do. Um, and for this person losing their child, man, they wrestled with, with blame shifting, with being angry at God, with being angry at other people, angry at themselves, feeling guilty, feeling shame. Uh, and, and God was just saying, surrender this to me. You have to accept this is reality. This is what has happened. Accept it. Surrender to me. Can you trust even? Can you trust me that I'm, I'm king in this situation and what I'm going to do is for good? Can you trust me? And this person came to surrender and trust. You know, there's things in your life, life right now that you can't control. I don't know what it is. It could be a relationship with someone else, how they're behaving. Uh, it could be something internally that you can't control, some sort of anxiety or depression. It could be whatever it is. What in your life can you not control right now? And can you surrender that to King Jesus, trusting that he's actually going to use it for good, trusting that he's actually king of the universe and actually loves you and is working in the middle of it? Can you surrender that to him? Or are you just going to cling to it, blaming yourself, blaming other people, feeling guilty? Jesus is looking for your surrender and the things that you can't control. He's also looking for your surrender in the things that you can control. So there are things that you can control in this world. And when, when you surrender your life to King Jesus, he doesn't just totally steamroller over your will. There are things you can control. Um, and he actually wants to, in his kingship, because he's different than every other king, right? He actually wants to reign with you. He wants to help you in the things that you can control to be in alignment with who he is. And so there are things that you can control. I think of this week, my attitude, I was sick all week. I could have just blamed being grumpy on being sick, but I'm in control of my own attitude. I cannot be grumpy if I try, right? I could blame it on sickness if I wanted to, but it is actually in my control. So there are things in your life that you can control. Um, what is it? Your attitude right now, um, your, your decisions. What are things in your life that you can control right now? that you aren't surrendering to King Jesus, that you want to still cling on to and hold on to with all your might. Um, it's hard to know the difference too between what you can control and what you can't control. And I came across this prayer. You may know it, but it was significant for me this week. It's called the Serenity Prayer. Actually, Alcoholics Anonymous made this quite, um, quite popular. And there's more to it, but I'll just stick to this part of the prayer. It says this, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think that's pretty good. I'll just read it one more time. God grant me the serenity or the peace to accept the things I cannot change or control. Courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And so I think Jesus is calling us to know the difference between the things we can and can't control and surrender all of it to him, trusting that he's good. And so when Jesus came to this world, one of the first things he said about the kingdom is this. He was walking around. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so this is a time for us to repent, to recalibrate, to reconsider, to reexamine, and to think, how is the kingdom coming in my life? How does God's reign want to come in and through my life? And in what ways might I be the thing that's inhibiting and stopping God's reign from coming into my life through me into this world? 
Where am I holding on and where do I need to actually let go? But let's remember as we are turning to him and repenting that this kingdom is actually, it is good news. And here's a few reasons why. When we surrender our lives in total allegiance to King Jesus, it's okay if it's just not completely, immediately, suddenly, everything is better in your life and you're a completely surrendered person. Remember we, in that chart, it said, the kingdom of heaven is like climactic suddenness. It's here, it's now, it's all at once, but it's also gradual. And so when you surrender to King Jesus, it's okay that it's gradual. Jesus says this parable, what's the kingdom of heaven like? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest garden plant and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So when you surrender to King Jesus, he starts a work in you. Okay. And and he starts slowly working in your life and he starts bumping up against other kingdoms in your heart and in your mind. And he's not, he's not like other Kings. He's not just going to execute you when you disobey him or when you resist him, he's not going to do that. He might let you walk away sad. He might just work with you slowly and slowly woo you into surrendering to him. And so you can trust that he's good and he's gracious and he will slowly work in you because a lot of our rival kingdoms, man, we can't, we can't even pinpoint what they are. We don't even really know what they are until we face suffering or until we face a a loss or until we face something really hard, right? That's when our rival kingdoms really come to the surface. And in those moments, God is still good. He's still King and he's working slowly to form you into someone who has surrendered to him. So it's okay that it's not all at once. Um, So this is good news. And when you surrender to him, he will advance his kingdom through you and it will be for your good. He's not trying to take advantage of you. He's trying to actually give you good things. Imagine if this rich young ruler had just said yes, what his life would have looked like. Can you imagine? Like he went home sad. What do you think he did when he got there? Just sat there surrounded by all his riches. Do you think that's what he really wanted in the end? No, I think when we hold on to our kingdoms, we don't know what we're missing out on, right? We have our stuff. We have our control. Sure. But we've missed out on something amazing that God wants for us. And I don't know what that is in your life, but whatever it is, the Holy spirit might be pinpointing for you right now. If you just accept that and go, yeah, I surrender to you. There's going to be good in store. It's not the good we expect, but it's the good that King Jesus wants to give you. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up at this time. Uh, We're going to close with a song. It's a song that I love um, because it sings about King Jesus. uh, And there's one line in it that I think for each of us here could be for us a bit of a, a bit of a confession, a bit of a proclamation when it says you have no rival, you have no equal. I think what we could say is God, I don't want you to, I don't want to be your rival. I don't want to have a rival kingdom. Lord, advance in me and advance through me. And so we're going to respond and then I'll come back up at the end. So let's stand together as we worship to close. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship sermon podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.